How are you guys doing? Man, it is a, a light morning out there. It must be summertime or something. There's nothing like summertime to make a pastor feel like the church is just going down in the tubes, I tell you what. Hallelujah. Are you guys ready for the word this morning? It's going to be a, it's going to be a challenging one and maybe a tough one. So you sure? All right, well, let's go ahead and, and pray as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your great love. Father, I thank you, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive the word that you have for us today. Father, I thank you that it would, uh, uh, a seed would be planted inside of us. It would produce fruit every single day in our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We come expecting, and uh, we're excited to see what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Where'd you stick the clicker, Joe? Oh, there it is. Hallelujah. Well, as you guys know, we are still in the middle of our series of who we are as a church. And we've gone through a bunch of different characteristics, a bunch of traits about the culture and, and, and character of who we are as a church. And today, I wanted to talk about that in, in Living with Family Church, we are a people who are generous. How many of you know that being generous is actually a pretty important character trait for a Christian? It's actually should be one of the defining traits of who we are as Christians because the truth is is that we are made in the image of God. And how many know that God is generous? And if God is generous and we are made in His image and when we're born again, we're restored to that position that we were made, uh, that Adam was made in, that means that, that we have those characteristics, those traits of God. So if God is generous, then, then by definition, so should we be. And I'm not just referring to the tithe, because that's the big thing, is that every time that a pastor gets up here and starts talking about being generous or tithing, everybody thinks that, oh, the church just wants your money. And I used to to laugh when, when my pastor, he would say, no, 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 I don't just want your money. I want your kids, your wife, your house. I want everything for the kingdom of God. Because the truth is, is that he should take the preeminence in our life. Everything that we do should be towards serving him. But the thing is, it's, it's not just about money. Being generous is not just about money. We should be generous with our money for sure. That's one aspect of it. But we should be generous with, with all of our possessions. We should be generous with our love. We should be generous with our compassion, with our mercy that we give towards others. And maybe the most difficult, particularly in this day and age, of what we should be generous with is our time. That's one of the hardest things to, to get out of people particularly in the summertime, as you can see, is their time. The thing is, is that God is generous, and we're made to be like Him. I think it's why when you see stingy people, people that want to hold everything, that's why they're not really happy. Because they're trying to find their happiness, their joy, and, and, and these things that you can just go and buy from the store. And we've all fallen into that trap from time to time, because, you know, they call it retail therapy. Having a bad day, you go buy something, and you feel better for a few minutes. But the thing is, it's never lasting. The stuff that we're trying to hold on to, or we don't want to give anything away. I've used, I mean, there's shows on there about hoarders, or people that just keep everything, and they don't get rid of it, and, and it's destroying them. They're not happy, but they have to keep everything. And the truth is, though, we are going to talk a bit about money today anyway, though. Because we have to get this out of the way. Did you know that money is important? to God. Your money really is. I don't know if you guys know this, but Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven or hell. Combined. 
Jesus more about money than about love. Did you know that? He mentions money more times in love in the New Testament. Jesus talked about money more than anything else except for the kingdom of God when he walked this earth, or at least what we have recorded. Half of the 39 parables refer to money in some way, shape, or form. One out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke, one out of seven, talks about money in some way, shape, or form. The thing is, is that money is important to God, not because God needs your money. How many know that God doesn't need your money? If God needs something, he can get it. He doesn't need you to open your, wall, your, your, your pocketbook. It's never been about the money. God doesn't need it. You know, people think that pastors get up there and we, you know, churches just want your money or they just, I don't need your money. God's taking care of me. I got a great job. My wife's got a great job. I don't, I don't need your money. I actually don't, uh, most of you guys know I don't draw anything from the church. This is all completely volunteer. And one time somebody got on to me because I had mentioned that. They thought I was trying to make people feel bad. But I, I tell people that not because I want people to feel bad, because I want you to know that I'm committed. I don't do this for a paycheck. I do it because God's called me to do it. And this is, this is my purpose in life is to, to lead this church and to, to make an impact in the city of Marana. And ultimately, we want to raise up leaders. We want to raise up pastors. We want to send out evangelists. We want to send out preachers. We want to plant other churches. That's what God has sent me to do here. And I, I didn't do it for a paycheck. The truth is, is that someday I do want to go into full-time ministry, but I will take a significant pay cut to do so. Because like I said, God has taken care of me, but I'm not in it for the money. So I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. So why is money so important to God? You see, the thing is, is that being generous is all about you. It's about the hard attitude that you have. It's that God wants you to put him first and his purpose and his priorities ahead of our own. And the thing is, is that in this world, we get so wrapped up in the material. We get so wrapped up in our money that God is somewhere off to the side. Because everything else becomes so much more important. Let's take a look at what the scripture says about giving and being generous. In Acts 4, 32 through 35, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands, or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, just to get it out of the way, I'm not telling anybody to sell their house and give their money to the church. But the scripture did get me thinking as I read this, and I look at the people and the attitude that the people had back then, it's completely different than the attitude that people have today, even Christians. As Christians, Christians, it's going to be one of those days again, apparently, as Christians, we should, should be known for being generous. We should be known for, for pouring into other people's lives. I look at this, it says there was not a needy person among them. You know, one of the things that I'm not a huge fan of is when, uh, when the government says that, that I have to, to, to pay for somebody else's stuff, no matter what it is. I'm not a big fan of that. But it's because that 
I want to be doing that on my own. The problem is, is that most people don't. That's why there's so much need. That's why this stuff has to be put in place is because people don't. But what if is a church? What if every church, everybody in the church made it their mission to make sure that the people that were around them were taken care of in their family, their church family. I'm not talking about taking care of strangers. I don't think we're called to do that. If you look at the scripture, it says that they are, uh, they were with one heart and soul. These were all the believers that came together. What if we took care of one another, made sure that everything was taken care of? What if you were down on your luck and you needed help and you could just reach out to, to, to one of the people in the church and say, hey, can you, can you help me out for a bit? And the truth is, I'm not talking about loans either. We don't ever want to get into that mess. The borrower is slave to the lender. We don't want to get it to where you don't want to, to come and hang out with somebody because you owe them money. But what if we were just generous and gave and helped out? And we got into a situation, there was not a needy person among them. You know, the truth is, is that if we would, if every church across the country would do that and start taking care of that, and we would live as a family and act like a family, then I don't think we would see the need that we do in this country right now. But the thing is, is the attitude of this world, and unfortunately it's in the church quite often, is, is an attitude of selfishness and self-preservation. But their attitude was so different. And I wonder, why was their attitude so different? What was different about them? It's because they were different. It's because it, they were born again and they had a faith, a real saving faith, and something was changing inside of them. And it changed the way that they lived their life. They were beginning to look like Jesus, who was willing to give up everything. He gave his very life so that we could have life. The thing is, is God is so incredibly generous. John 3.16, this is, everybody knows this verse. So God gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We, that sounded like a Mario. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We'll, we'll wait. Go ahead. <laughs> Hallelujah. We, we still love you. But God, God was so generous that he gave even his only son. He gave his very life for us. How can that not instill generosity inside of us when somebody gave us so much? I mean, I know that at work with people that aren't even Christians, if I buy somebody a cup of coffee, the next time we go to the store, they want to buy me one. They want to make it right. Because my generosity is, has... And really, it's a selfishness thing. They just don't want to be in debt. But the, the thing is, is that there's that natural thing inside of us that we want to repay what has been given. Why don't we do that as Christians? Why is that? It seems like the longer we're saved, the less we realize the impact of what has happened to us, what has been accomplished inside of us. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. God said that you can be part of my family. Think about that for a second. God said you can be part of my family. Now, but you're not, you're not just like a, a, someone coming to visit, but you're part, you, you get a part of the inheritance. Everything that's mine is yours. We're all part of it. What if the church was like that? When people came in the door and said, you're part of our family. We're going to take, you need something? Give me a call. We're going to make sure that you're taken care of. And it doesn't, it's, it's not just about somebody needing help with the electric bill. Sometimes people just want someone to hang out with. They need some company. Sometimes they want to know if that's your truck because they need help moving. 
What if we just said yes? But the thing is, is our initial instinct is to keep everything to ourselves. That's, that was the, the result of the fall. When, when, when they, they received the knowledge of good and evil, they began to look inward. And, and from the very beginning, they wanted to preserve their modesty. They began to make clothes and hide. And that's the thing is we start looking. And in our brokenness, without Jesus, we are completely selfish. When I was growing up, my, my mom and my sister would always call me selfish. And this is, this is BC days. And uh, they would call me that, and I couldn't figure it out. I wasn't selfish. I just knew it. Well, I look back now, and I was like, holy Toledo, I was the most selfish person I ever knew. And I didn't even know it. I'm so thankful for what Jesus has done in me and changed me. It made me something different, something new. You see, that's actually sin's greatest power is to keep you looking at yourself. It keeps your eyes away from God and it keeps your eyes away from loving other people. It also causes us to split our focus. Matthew 6.24, selfishness. and It says, Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Just a a side note, Jesus said this, not Pastor Wayne. You can't serve both God and money. See, why is generosity so important to God if he doesn't need our money? God can get his money. If God can raise up uh, uh, believers from rocks, sons of Abraham from rocks, don't you think he can make money happen if he needs money to happen? I see God do it all the time. God's done it in my, my life and in this ministry. Money's come out of places I never thought money could come out of to make sure that we had enough, to make sure that the bills were paid, to make sure that we were taken care of, both the church and my wife and I personally. He, doesn't, he can make money show up from anywhere. He doesn't need our money. But the thing is, is that the reason why it's important to God is because when we have something ahead of Him, it has control in our life. The things that you're unwilling to give up have complete control in your life. And that's everything. It's not just money. It could be sports. It could be video games. It could be your car. It could be your job. Anything that we put in front of God gets in the way and we can't serve two different things. And that's what happens is we actually let these things act like gods in our lives and they have complete control now there's nothing wrong with these things it's when we let them have the preeminence in our life when they dictate everything that we do when we can't go to church on a sunday morning because there's a game on things get in the way and the thing is is that anything you put before god will ultimately have a hold on you it'll ultimately have control on you and it'll ultimately disappoint you Wives, if you put your husband before God, ultimately he will disappoint you. Husbands, if you put your wives before God, ultimately they will disappoint you. If your job comes first, you will be disappointed. You can lose your job, but God will never leave you nor forsake you. Which do you want to put your trust in? Which do you want to hold on to? God can always get you another job. There's jobs all over the place. If we don't want to be disappointed, we have to put God first in every aspect, in every area of our lives. This is why Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
verse 25, the beginning of this section, it says this, don't be anxious about life. Why? Because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Just worry about what you have right now. Put God first and quit worrying if you're going to have a job tomorrow or a 401k tomorrow or, or if the stock market's going to go up or down or if President Trump's going to say something stupid or, and make the, the, you know, put tariffs somewhere and it's hurting certain people in the economic sector or, or worry about if he's going to do something good and make the whole world turn around. The truth is none of that matters if you don't have God first. We could be living in a, in a perfect world of utopia. If you don't have God first, it doesn't matter. It's just a short period of time. And the truth is, is it can happen without God anyway. But if we put God first, the scripture says that all things will be added to us. You put the kingdom of heaven first and everything. Will be, that doesn't mean that you're going to have everything in life. It doesn't mean that you're going to be rich. It doesn't mean, because some of you, if, if you, if you got rich, it would destroy you. Some of us need just enough so that we can stay out of trouble. But if we'll put God first, he'll make sure that you have everything that you need. We're so worried about holding stuff in and, and keeping it close to the vest and not letting it go away. If I, let, if, you know, if, if I, if I give somebody this, this $100 because they're in need, what if I need it? What's going to happen if I need it? You know what's amazing is if you'll give, you'll find out that when you need it, somebody will be there for you. It all comes back around. And the truth is, is that we are called to do good works. You see, Christians get confused about this. They say, they don't know, you know, it's all about faith, not about works. The truth is, is to be saved. It's all about faith. But the natural result of a, of a, of a life-changing, a saving faith is that you'll do some good works. We've got to make sure that the, the cart is not in front of the horse. Your works aren't going to save you. They never will. You can't be good enough. You can't do good enough to be saved. But when you put your trust in Jesus, then you can finally do some good. Because when, when that happens inside of you, there's evidence of that change inside of you. Your life should be changed. Your life should look different than it used to. If you get saved and your life looks just like it used to, that's something you should take a hard look at. 1 Timothy 6, 18-19 says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. How many of you guys want to invest for your future? This is one of the ways you invest for your future. When I was uh, a kid, someone once told me that if you get out of high school and you start saving $100 a month and put it in a, in a mutual fund, by the time you're it's like 40 or 60, you'll be a millionaire because of the way compound interest works and because you have such a long time period that it doesn't even dips and stuff in the market because ultimately the trend is always up in the market. So if you would just put $100 at 18 years, Blake, I'm telling you, Allison, telling you right now, start putting $100 a month in the bank account in a mutual fund, you'll be a millionaire at 40 years old. Well, but you trust him. You're trusting me for money. You're looking at the wrong place. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but I tell you what, that's, I look back now and it's like, man, that have been so simple. I could have made that work $100. See, when you're, when you're, when you're a teenager, $100 a month seems like the world. But 
you get old and you realize that's a drop in the bucket. Why couldn't I have just done that? Then I, I wouldn't have to worry about working right now. I could put all my time in ministry. But I, I think about that and like, why? And people told me. They said, this is what you need to do. If you will do this, you will be set. Invest in your future. And I didn't listen. Well, now the Bible's telling me how I can invest in my future. And I want to listen this time. I don't want to end at the end of my life and realize that, that I didn't accomplish any, but anything. I didn't touch anybody's life. I didn't make any kind of difference for the kingdom of heaven because I was holding everything in instead of giving it out like I've been called to do. So if serving money or serving ourselves is the wrong way to go, how do we go about doing the right thing? Well, the first thing that we have to do is, is begin to teach that you need to give, that you need to be generous. I can tell you right now, this is one of the hardest things to do as a pastor. You guys up here think I'm up here looking all confident and suave and just nailing this message. It's the, one of the best ones you've ever heard, but on the inside, I'm spinning around. I hate talking about this stuff because I'm always worried that someone's going to leave and go, oh, he just wants our money. He's just being selfish. This is all about him when really that has nothing to do with it. One of the things that I had to get counseled on about talking to you about money is, 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 is my pastor has said, well, why are you telling them to do it? So because I want the best for them. I know that if they'll give, if they'll be generous, and God will take care of them. They'll have more than enough. But if they keep holding everything in, it's just going to stay in the same place that they're already at right now. It's just going to compound. It has nothing. I, I don't want their money. I want it to be added to their account. So it's difficult for me to teach that, though, and I have to remember those things because this is the kind of the hard stuff to do when you want to pull somebody aside and say, hey, you know, do you, if you would just begin to do what the Word says and trust God, maybe things would change in your life, but if you keep holding in, it's going to be the same thing over and over, but it, it never feels good to talk about, really to correct for anything. It never feels good. So it's one of the most difficult things as a pastor, and as, like I said, as I'm standing up here, I'm turning on the inside because I, I never want to come across the wrong way, but I'm not going to shy back from teaching the Word of God. And the truth is, is that we need to teach this to our kids. We need to teach this to other people because if we all don't do things because it's uncomfortable, we're missing out on so much of what God has for us. Really, most of you right now have probably even started feeling uncomfortable as we're talking about money and giving. It's because our entire lives revolve around spending and earning money. It's a tough subject for so many people. But like I said, the, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with each and every one of you and what's added to your account. Philippians 4, 15 through 17 says, And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church, in, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. One of the things I can tell you, church, is that like Paul, I thank you guys so much for being faithful. The truth is, is that, that uh, because of your generosity and because of your faithful giving every single month, we're able to, to pay all the bills. We're able to pay the rent for the place. We're able to, and, and really that's a great feat. Uh, you guys may not know this, but uh, Marana is one of the most expensive areas to rent. This place here on the east side of Tucson would probably cost uh, $2,000 a month. It costs twice that much here, but you guys are so faithful. That it's never been an issue. We've always, had, we've always had everything that we need, and I'm so thankful for that. 
But I'm more importantly, I'm thankful for the credit that it gives to your account because I love watching people's lives change when they begin to dive into the Word of God and begin to live it out. And I see that maturity and I see growth in their life and I see what God is doing. So I'm going to continue to teach even the hard things, even if it makes me uncomfortable, even if it makes you uncomfortable, because it's important that we do so. And I think that you guys should be teaching it as well. Teach your kids. Even if they're grown and moved out, keep teaching, keep encouraging them. And if you still have kids around, don't just teach them, show them. Your kids should be able to look at your life and see the perfect example of a Christian because that's the thing, is that's the example that we're setting from. Our kids are going to do what we do. Blake hates to admit it. He doesn't do it quite so much anymore, but not too many years ago, anytime I would do something, he would get into it because he, he mimicked what I did. Because that's the thing with kids do. They, they see their parents and they want to be like their parents. If you want your, your, your daughters to find a good man and a good husband, model one to them so they know what it looks like. If you want your sons to find a good wife, model one to them so they know what it looks like. And if you want your kids to be generous and to learn what God wants, model being a good Christian for them so they can learn and see what it's all about. Amen? And remember that being generous doesn't just mean money. Money is easy. Money is about the easiest thing that you can give. Because the thing is, is that, that uh, you can give money. You can always get more money. Getting more money is not that difficult. There's always a way to do it. But give of your time. Give of your praise. Give of your encouragement. And give of your, just be generous with them all and model that for your kids and for the people that are around you. Because the thing is, is that we all reap what we sow. The things that we do, we will, we will reap in return. And Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25, it says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. That doesn't make any sense. They keep giving everything away, but they get richer. It says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. If any of you guys are suffering want, think about what's going on in your life. And whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The thing is, is that when we're generous, it always comes back to us. The truth is, is you can't outgive God. This is the one area in the entire Bible that we're given commission and, uh, permission and commanded to test God. He says, test me in this, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. But if we're generous, then we'll receive in return. But the opposite is completely true. This principle of reaping and sowing, which you find over and over and over in the Bible, is so true in our life. If you want people to be generous, or you want people to be kind to you, be kind to them. If you find out that everybody is, is, is snarky with you and is, is mean to you, and is not, take a look at how you're treating other people. The thing is, is that stingy people don't receive what God wants them to receive. And how many rich and famous people have we heard about that seem like that they have it all? They, they have the money, they have the fame, they have whatever they want in life, but then they commit suicide because the truth is they're not really happy. You can have all the stuff in the world and it's not going to get you anywhere. I mean, the, the whole point of, the Charles, uh, of Charles Dickens' novel, A Christmas Carol, was to 
to point that out. Old Scrooge had everything, but he was a Scrooge. And that's the thing is that when, if, if we're looking for fulfillment and happiness and stuff, we're never going to have it. Be generous with it. Get rid of it and watch. The funny thing is it always comes back to us. I once heard a, a pastor tell a story. He's pastoring a church. He's been serving God his whole life, and, and his, his house got flooded with nine feet of water. Nine feet. That's a lot of water. And everything in his house was destroyed. And he couldn't figure it out because he's like, look, I'm serving you, God. I'm doing everything for you, God. Why is this happening? What is going on? But then his church rose up and replaced everything that he had in his house, restored everything. And he said, the lesson I learned is that, is that uh, stuff doesn't matter. God can always get you more stuff. And God took care of him and restored everything. And you wonder, was, did God flood his house to teach him? Well, I don't think so. I think that sometimes stuff happens, but God uses those things to teach us. God uses those to help us grow, to see an example of these things. And then we get confused about it too because we somehow think that just having a lot of stuff is blessing from God. And like I said, we're talking about the, the, the people that are rich and they have so much stuff. We're like, man, why, why do we see all these rich and famous people? Why do they have so much? Why, do they, why does it seem like God's just taking care of them when they're not serving him? And matter of fact, they're doing quite the opposite. But then we see in their lives they're not happy and they're committing suicide. They're doing all these things. Because the truth is, is that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Has anybody ever thought that maybe the, the, the devil is out there blessing people to get them in a mess? Like I said, some people, if they have too much, if they have too much money, they're just going to spend it on drugs or whatever and get themselves into a worse situation. Why wouldn't the devil want people to have that, to walk away from God, to push them away? But the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. One of my favorite stories that Dave Ramsey tells is about this couple that he was counseling them on their debt. And he's like, you gotta, if you ever listen to Dave Ramsey, he always says, you got to sell the car. People buy cars when they can't afford it, and you just got to sell it. And they're like, but Dave, this was our miracle car. God gave us this car. God gave it to us. He's like, well, how do you know that God gave it to you? He's like, because we went in and we got the loan. Even the finance manager said it was a miracle. <laughs> but the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. The thing is, is that if even in, in our poverty, even in our want, even in our lack, if we will be generous, God always returns it to us. It says that the one who waters will himself be watered. The one who brings blessing will be enriched. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. See, the truth is, is if we'll be generous, even if we don't necessarily have it, God will always make sure that we have what we need. You're never going to go and want. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. And what I love about God is that he's, the scripture says he's watching over his word ready to perform it. He's watching over his word to see if you're giving freely so he can grow, grow you all the richer. He's watching over his word to perform it in your life. And the crazy thing about being generous and about giving is, giving is that we set the standard of measure. In Luke 6.38, it says, Give, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. 
So simple. If you want to receive a lot, you give a lot. If you want to receive a little, you give a little. You want to lose a little, you take a little. You want to lose a lot, take a lot. The thing is, is that with, with our standard of measure, when somebody needs your help, help them. Be generous. Give more than they ever ex- expended or, or expected or ever asked for it. And, and to be clear, guys, I'm not talking about being abused. I mean, some people will take advantage of you and abuse you. And abuse you. That's not what I'm talking about. Everybody has to have the same attitude. If we take care of one another, then we're, we're going to do great things. But there are some people who will, will abuse and take advantage of that situation. And it turns out when you help them, you're not actually helping them. You're, you're just hurting them. You're enabling them. So that's not what I'm talking about. And I, I hope you guys understand the difference. But yeah, let's just be generous. Let's give. I love how, how this says that this, when I was growing up, my, my, my mom taught me how to cook and to bake and stuff like that. And I love this, this demonstration because we would, we would go ahead and, and use brown sugar. You guys you made a recipe with brown sugar and the recipe says you got to pack the cup you know, and, and I, I think about this because as it'll be given to you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together. If you take brown sugar and you just run your measuring cup through it and it's in there kind of loose, you don't get the full amount that you need. You have to get on top of it and pack it down and press it down real hard to get the actual amount in the recipe. That's what always reminds me of this is this given to be given to you, not just a scooping off the top, but pressed down full. And not even that, it's going to be running over. And then it says, with the measure you use, it'll be measured back. I love that I get to pick the measuring cup. The recipe says we need a half a cup of brown sugar. I'm like, uh-uh, we're using two cups. Because <laughs> by my standard of measure, it's going to be measured back. That's probably my problem. I should have not done the two <laughs> cups of brown sugar, and I wouldn't be so overweight. Guys, you, you believe this stuff? Do, do you believe that the Word of God is true? Would anybody else know it if you, didn't, if you weren't asked? Is there evidence in your life that you believe this stuff? And I think back, and, and I know I believe this stuff. There's, there's some things in people's life, and, and I believe that, that areas of faith in our life, it's not like we have this level of faith for everything. I think some things, um, people have greater areas of faith in their life. And for me, one of my strongest areas of faith is in the area of finances. And I believe that's why God has taken care of us. When we first got born again, or my wife and I decided that we were going to serve God, this is one area we've never wavered, no matter what. Whether we didn't have money for rent, groceries, it's one area we've never wavered. And God has always taken care of us. He's always been faithful every day. And the church, the same way. God has always been faithful to us financially in the church. And we keep trusting Him. But there's other areas of my life that I struggle with a little bit more. You guys know me for a while, know that healing is one of those areas that I, I struggle with a little bit more, and I really have to be conscious, conscious, conscious of, of, of putting my faith in that because it's so easy for me to get uh, distracted and lose my faith in areas of healing, so I have to be much more focused. Well, for some of you, this may be one of those areas where you got to be focused and you got to put a little bit of discipline in and you got to just choose to trust God even when it doesn't make any sense. In my life, and I don't say this to brag, but to, to prove a point, I've, I've, I've given joyfully whenever I had. I love the fact that when I give, God gives me more that I can continue to give. 
And I've given away cars, I've given away guitars, I've given away money and all kinds of money. And I'm not talking about to the church, I'm just talking to people. And I've been able to be a blessing to them. And God has always brought it back to me in return. And I'm not special. I'm not any different than anybody in this room. Matter of fact, from the outside looking in, God probably likes you more. If, we were, if there was some way to look at it and evaluate it from an earthly perspective, you'd be like, yeah, God probably loves him way more than you. I, I know some of the stuff that you've done. But the truth is, is that I'm not special. I'm not, just because I'm a pastor of a church, all that means is I have a different call. I'm not any higher than you. God doesn't love me more than you. My, my, God, my faith doesn't have more power than you. My prayer doesn't have more power than you. So if God will do it for me, he'll do it for you. I know he will. I have never outgiven God, and there's nobody in this room that can And the more I give, the more it comes back to me. That's why Luke 16.10 says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. If you want more, be faithful with what you have. And, and here's the thing. Is I, I don't believe that, that by being a Christian, you're guaranteed to be rich. There's plenty of, of, of faithful Christians who aren't rich. But I do believe that if God can get it through you, then he'll get it to you. And that God will use you to do amazing things if you'll just be faithful in the little that you have. Amen? And 1 John 3.17 says, But if anybody has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? As Christians, we should be meeting the needs of those around us. Because that's what love looks like. It's caring about others and meeting their needs and making sure that they have what they need. God will use you to meet somebody else's needs. And I'm the first person to be skeptical of people that, 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 uh, that come in begging or needing stuff. But you guys would not believe how many phone calls I get with people just going down the phone book or, or searching the web for churches asking for money. And I'm the first to be skeptical. What is going on here? Is this a legitimate need? Is this not? And, and I see uh, people that are begging on the side of the road all the time, and, and, and instantly my heart wants to push them away. But I've been trying to be sensitive to God when he wants me to give because I would hate to not give to the one person that actually needed it because there's a bunch of jokers out there taking advantage of other people. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. If you see somebody in need, begin to pray and ask God if he wants you to move in that person's life. We have to act in wisdom. I think there are people out there that, that will abuse the situation. But man, uh, somebody said once, uh, you know, if that person is just asking for money to buy alcohol or to buy beer, that says something about their character. But if I don't give, that gets, says something about my character. It's something to think about because God's love in us causes us to be generous. One of the things that my wife does is when people are asking for money, she just asks them, what are you going to spend it on? You'd be surprised at how many of them are on and say, I'm going to buy alcohol. And she goes, sorry, I'm not going to be a part of that. John goes so far to say that if they're not willing to be generous, then he questions the love inside of them. See, God's love inside of us will cause us naturally to be generous because God's love inside of us changes us. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved 
us. I want to go through and look at a couple of of uh, stories. We'll go through the stories quickly. It'll be an action in the Bible in Luke ten thirty through thirty five. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. All of us have heard this, but it says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by a chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. See, Jesus is telling us this story about how to, to love our neighbor, to be generous with our neighbors. And this was a Samaritan. And there's, the thing is, the Samaritan and Jews had a massive hatred towards each other. This is kind of like uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys or the, the uh, uh, Montagues and the Capulets, that's Romeo and, and Juliet, for those who don't know. Or something a little more monitor, it's like the Cowboys and everybody. But see, this, this Samaritan showed compassion and generosity for someone who he should have hated. Think about that when we look at the different people groups that are, are in our, our society. Now, we certainly don't have to agree with everything that everybody is doing. But we are called to love them all and to show them compassion and to show them generosity. Who are we willing to be generous to? Jesus told them to inherit eternal life. You have to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That was the thing here. Well, who's my dad out there being snarky? Which I love it when people try to get snarky with Jesus because he's always got something that just blows them away. Well, who's my neighbor? If I got to be, I got to love my neighbor as myself. Who's my neighbor? Well, let me tell you this story about the guy who took care of the guy he should have hated. That's your neighbor. He taught us to be generous with all those who need it. You know, the only the only person Jesus never tells you to love is yourself. You don't have to be told to do that. You just take care of that all on your own. But you got to focus on loving other people. Another story of generosity and action is in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God has been given among the churches of Macedonia for a severe test of, the, of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. See, this is an interesting thing. So many people think they don't have the money to give. But this church... It's a severe test of affliction and extreme poverty. How many of you here are in extreme poverty? Not a single person in this room. The poorest among us in this country have more than most people in third world countries. And I'm talking the poorest of us in this country. We are a blessed people. He goes on in verse 3, it says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They put God first, and as a result, they were generous. Even when they had nothing, they had nothing, yet they still found a way to be generous. And I love, it says that, 
they gave according to their means. If you don't have a lot, you don't have to give a lot. But give what you have according to your means. And he says these folks, even beyond their means. You see, that's the thing is that not only that, that they, they wanted to do it because God changed something inside of them. This is a different attitude that we're used to seeing. I love in, in Exodus 36, you can read it about when they were bringing stuff to build the temple and Moses finally had to say, stop guys, we have too much. That's every pastor's dream right there. Stop guys, we have too much. But it's a completely different and unusual attitude than we have today. You see, the thing is, is though, they were concerned with giving themselves to the Lord. And as a result, they gave to others. Now, I do want to give a quick word of caution about this, is that this is not a, uh, a heavenly slot machine. But it says in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, that you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. <laughs> Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that the other giving that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is not about getting in front of people. It's not about getting a return. It's not about getting an investment. It's not about letting people see what you're doing. One of the things that I always think about, uh, and why I'm careful when I give examples of my own life, is I don't, I don't want to be given praise or, 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 or brag about what I'm doing. That's not why I did it. That's why most of you don't know that I do this stuff when I do it, because it's not about that. It's about being a blessing to other people. And the truth is, is that when you get up there and toot your horn and you talk about how much you've given, the, the, the praise you get in the moment is all you're going to get in return. It's not about, giving should never be about a return. Even though when you give faithfully, you always get a return. You see that even when you do that, if it's, if it's about receiving, then you're missing the point as well. But we're not to be generous out of a sense of duty. We're not to be generous out of a sense of compulsion. Being generous is not going to give you and get you in heaven. And the good news is, is that we're not receiving another offering after the service, so even this message is not so you'll give more today. Being generous is not about promotion. How many know that you're not going to get promoted in a church because you give more than somebody else? We don't do it to receive because it's not some sort of heavenly lottery. And, and we give because he gave everything to us. It's a natural response. And if you're being generous for a pat on the back, you've already received your reward. But the good news is that if we're generous in response to his love, that we will be rewarded. How, how cool is that, 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 even though he doesn't have to, even though there's no need to, he, God could say it's all mine anyway, I want it back, and we would have no legal right, no ground to stand on. Because you know what? If you'll give to me, I'll give you more in return. How crazy is that? And we should remember this while we're being generous. In Matthew 25, 31-40, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked? And clothe you, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Church, if nothing else, remember when you're being generous, you're doing it to him. You see, the thing is, is that God gave us everything, He gave us so much, He gave us His own Son, He gave up His very own life for us to live, to be forgiven, to have a life. And we can never earn it. We can never repay it. But when we're generous here on this earth, we're actually doing it to him. So church, let's be a people who are generous in all things. Amen. Let's be a people that in every aspect of our life, let's think about how can we love people? How can we honor people? How can we be generous to others? Because he was so generous to us. Amen. And let's go ahead and bow our heads.